0: we don't really know. My name's
1: Brandon Curry. Brandon. And I'm Jeff Collins. Josh Bond.
0: And we have a very important guest for us uh, for, with us today. Um, thank you very much to the chief investment officer of Bank of Montreal, Sadiq Adatia. Thank you very much for joining the podcast. We really appreciate your time. Um I'm excited to be here with you guys. Well, we have a whole bunch of questions uh, for you that have come in from, um, you know, actually we we advertise this as you know on on our social media platforms, and a couple of advisors reached out, um, gave us a couple of questions to ask. Uh, I know the the guys <clears> also <throat> we've been chatting on the um, on our private little chat message on different things that. You know they've researched and want to know and ask about yourself as well but um let's start off with i guess you know your schooling where you came from how you got what was before the bank of montreal um and and then we'll lead up to to
2: you building the team and what have you we'll go from there so let's start with that sure so i mean i i graduated out of the university of waterloo uh, my background was really um, on in actual science, so a lot of the uh, statistics and mathematics, all the fun stuff, as you can imagine. Um, and then when I graduated, I started off working at a consulting shop, focusing on on pensions. Um, so did a lot of you know work with big pension plans, helping them with their liability side, and then you know, switched over to the asset management side, so investment consulting and then helping him again with the with their asset side of that balance sheet um i fell in love with the investment side moved over to um russell investments where i was a portfolio manager first for a um, asset allocation funds canadian equity small cap dividends you name it and then was fortunate enough to become their chief investment officer so that was fantastic got a, a lay of the land got to understand the retail side of the business really well And then moved over to Sun Life Global Investments, where it was really a brand new shop, um, no assets. I was able to build a team and build a process and really grow that firm. Um, And I did that for ten years. Very proud of what I did there. Um, Grew it from zero to thirty-five billion over that ten-year span. Um, And then you know BMO came knocking on the door, and it was a great opportunity to take things to the next level. And, And that's where we're at today.
0: Well, you most definitely uh, took, uh, I I know you from the Sun Life Global Investments Day. So anyone that's listening, keep in mind there's Sun Life, the brokerage. There's Sun Life Global Investments, which is the mutual fund, uh, you know, ETF kind of portfolio. And a lot of the pension money goes there. Then there's the Group Retirement Services Division. um, And I I got to know Sadiq quite well uh, on that side of the business. We were extremely uh, sad to see you leave, but obviously knew that. This is an uh, an opportunity of a lifetime. Uh, shout out to our, our uh, everyone that's listening and watching uh, our, us live. Hi, Mel. Who said yay math? That's good. And Leanne, uh, good morning to you as well. Thanks for thanks for listening, ladies. We really appreciate you guys uh, joining in all the Gotta time. Give a shout out to Rook, um, and oh yeah, rookie. Uh, he is he is busy. Uh, good job, Bondo. Thank you for that. Uh, had uh, his 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 wife. And, uh, him had a, had a baby boy last week. Um, and he is busy pr- producing this show with his son in his, um, in his arms. So hats off to you, sir. Um, and welcome because it's one heck of a ride. Um, so we, just, we can get a um,
1: screenshot on their rookie of you and the baby. Yeah. if you want to do that at some time? No. Yeah. Maybe a picture of you
3: at three in the morning <laughs> or four in the morning. <laughs>
1: Uh. <laughs> this is what it's really like. <laughs> yeah. Bags into Absolutely. your eyes.
0: <laughs> so, uh, Sadiq, I just have a question. So when when BMO came um, came knocking and asking you to take over, I mean, there was the whole, um, and we've just seen it on social media just lately on LinkedIn, you had um, a big team that you're building around. Um, can you take us through how you went about doing that because like, where was BMO before? Cause I know, but I think our listeners or anybody knows. So what was it before? And then what's it gonna look like now? What's your vision and are you done? Take us through that little um,
2: exercise. Yeah, sure. I, I would say that you know, I wouldn't have came to BMO if I didn't think it was a great shop. And, and I did a lot of homework. Um, I interviewed probably about 15 people before I came on board. And, and what I noticed right off the bat was we have some great investment talent, uh, we're very innovative, and we have some great relationships with our clients. Um, we had a really strong ETF business that is number two in Canada, and for eleven straight years has won the most cash flows. So on its way, hopefully to number one. Um, and when I was looking through, you know, all the things that we do, you know, it looked really great, but I felt that we were could still do a lot more on a going forward basis. And that would be by expanding the team, getting into markets that we weren't in, you know, launching new funds that met the client's needs. And that's what we were doing. So you know, if you go back, even a little bit before I joined, we were probably in, in the, about the mid-30s on the investment side. Today, we're about 100. So that's a lot of growth in a very short amount of time. And we've added it in every place, from ETFs to fundamental equities to um, active bonds, responsible investing, multi-asset, you know, trading, uh, you name it, we've added. And of course, as you mentioned earlier, a, a brand new global equity team, which I'm very proud of because, you know, you don't get too many of those opportunities. And I would say that when they looked at what we were doing at, on the BMO side and, and the growth we were doing, I think it was great. And I have this saying that, you know, great talent follows other great talent. And I think that's what's been occurring you know in that short amount of period of time now in terms of our vision you know i came in with really three goals first was to again expand our investment team to make sure that we had you know coverage across the board and we would have the additional um knowledge and expertise for every single market so you can check that off number two was to increase collaboration um, so we had great collaboration amongst the teams but now we were trying to expand that across teams. So we have these great investment forums where every investment professional is on the call talking about what's going on in their markets, in their asset classes. And then we also bring in external speakers to give us their perspective of things that are different than our own. So we have this different you know, lens um, in helping us to manage risk and to be aware of opportunities. And then tack third onto that was really to provide great insights to clients. Um, and advisors and so hopefully this is one example of that where we can provide great knowledge of what we think is going on and give you and your clients some additional insight and then I would add one more last thing which is really to launch the products you know using that expertise and those insights and you know as you may have known we've launched new products last week I'll, I'll leave that for a later discussion in our in our call but Really, I am very excited about what we've done, and I think we're going to have some great stuff there for our, our clients. So, well, Sadiq.
1: I'll... yes, go Bondo. Sorry, um, you. From what I understand, you um, you moved to BMO in two thousand and one. So, from when you moved, did you has your um, uh, team experienced that two hundred percent growth since you
2: moved? Uh, sorry, I. I moved uh, to BMO just last year. Um, yeah, two thousand one, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so that growth that we've seen in terms of the team is, is predominantly been while I've been here. But there was some going on prior to prior to me joining as well. So, yeah, we've seen some pretty strong growth, and you know, I think we've seen a lot of traction with with clients um, who have followed not only BMO, but again the individuals that we've brought on board. Yep. We've just been great.
1: Yeah. A lot of times you're, uh, you're looking for key people, right? When you're looking for those things and you, a lot of times you see that they're followed.
2: Yeah. It's trust, right? As you would say, you know, people yep. have trust in, 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 who's managing that money. Um, whether that's myself or, you know, members of our broader investment team. And they've got that trust because we've done the right things with those clients over the you know decades of years of experience, managing through difficult environments, um, great markets, key is that we've partnered with them and have given them insights over that period of time and deliver results. And I think that is why we get a lot of support um, from clients. Fair.
0: Well, I know our shop is definitely really keen to, I mean, we've already had a couple meetings to see what your, um, your you know, what your vision is and where you're taking it. And we were fairly happy with, with what was going on. Um, now we are a couple of our team and, and also the, our brokerage is actually looking to. I think it's. I think it's in my calendar. It's in the next coming weeks. You're you're on a roadshow, yeah. so if there are any advisors, and there's a lot of advisors who watch us and follow us on LinkedIn and on our social media, so tell them a little bit more about the roadshow that you're you're embarking
2: on towards the end of November, and that'll
0: give you a chance because I know I'm I'm registered.
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, we're starting. In, uh, I think November 22nd. I think we're going all the way to about December the 15th, I believe, or something close to that. Um, across You're going to be competing with World Cup. Yeah, yeah I know, I know. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a shame. I think we'll give you better insights, maybe not better uh, soccer stories there, but definitely there better, better insights. Um, but yeah, it's exactly across Canada, meeting up with you know, a, a ton of advisors. Um, and really, it's going to start off with me talking about you know, what is going on with the economy, um, you know, where we're at in terms of the markets, other opportunities, and how people might be looking at their portfolios. Um, and then we're going to go into a conversation on technology and innovation uh, with Malcolm and Jeremy, um, who joined us uh, from a previous shop and part of the global equity team. And these guys are a phenomenal um, and, uh, PMs who know that market exceptionally well, and they'll give you their insights of what's going on. And I think what you'll hear from them is the type of companies they're looking at that are tied to this innovation story. Um, and, you know, they can compare it back to what happened, you know, in 1999 um, and the tech boom that was going on at that stage as well. Um, and then that'll be followed by Jeff Elliott, um, who is going to be one of the PMs on the Global Equity Fund, along with myself and Marcello Holditch. Um, now, that fund is going to be great because the Global Equity Fund is designed by having each of the sector PMs really um, picking the best names in that sector. And then... Myself and Marcello, who are part of the multi-assets uh, team, are also going to be able to look at the view of the macro side and getting it along with the PM's view on that particular sector to help tilt a portfolio to the sector that we think has been outperformed outperform the most, given the current economic conditions are out there. And then once that's done, um, you know, Marcello is going to come on. And talk about the global uh, income and growth, the BMO Global Income and Growth Fund, as well as the Canadian Income and Growth Fund, which really is our best ideas fund, both stocks and bonds, along with the macro view as well. And you know, for those funds, we have you know our forty to fifty investment professionals that are involved in coming up with those ideas. So really, it is the best of our ideas all into one shop. So I'm really really excited about these new products, and you know how they can, you know, work with clients. So before we launch
0: into the new funds that you, that you have launched and that you're going on the roadshow with, before we go into that um, we've had discussions on our podcast before on the fundamental differences between, you know, there was a buzzword about three, four years ago and BMO had, it, it has one of the top, ETF portfolios in the country, like you said, second highest inflows for 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 money. Um, So they've done very well on that stage. So as advisors, we do look, uh, BMO is at the top of the list to to choose. Um, I guess so then there's, it's a double faceted question. So uh, the first is, can you go over what the difference between an ETF portfolio and a mutual fund is just to get people on the same page? And then the second is, um, how are you going to use, you, how is BMO, mainly yourself, going to take the team from such a great performance on the ETF portfolio? And how is that going to you know, be able to dovetail or to, to spill over into the new um, mutual funds that you're launching across the country?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, thinking about our ETF portfolios, those people are utilizing those what are looking for a one-stop solution. Um, and it would depend on their risk profiles, So if they're conservative, too aggressive. Um, They'll have different equity and bond exposures based off that. But they utilize mainly underlying ETFs, both active and passive, but predominantly there are passive exposures there. But the management of the fund itself, so the overriding portfolio is by no means passive. Um, It's very active because it's taking a look at the economy, the markets, sectors, and telling the portfolios accordingly. So, Again, it, it's really attractive from a pricing perspective because we are losing, using our own ETFs um, as well as you know other uh, ETFs. But generally, because we're such a large shop, we have everything that we need from an ETF perspective. Um, and because we're manufacturing, we're able to keep it at a low-cost level compared to our, our peers. Compare that to you know a mutual fund like our Global Income and Growth uh, or Canadian Income and Growth portfolios. Here, you know, it's utilizing mutual funds underneath it. Um, it's got more active management inside of it, and so it's a different level of just getting full exposure to markets versus getting a more subset of a market through active research and rigor. And and we have, I think, an excellent competitive advantage in that space um, with the team that we have in, on board. So, you know, looking out, you know, three five years of companies and understanding, you know, where they're going to be in that environment, how strong they're going to be from a competitive standpoint, how their profitability is going to look like, um, where their margins are going to be. And that really is the difference of finding those great quality companies. You know, think about, you know, the Amazons of the world or Microsoft of the world way back when they were in their infancies, right? This is an opportunity to be able to do that. And so those type of names are part of some of the, you know, equity piece of the portfolio. And we do the same thing on the bond side as well, whether it's governments um, or corporates or high yields, um, putting it all together in a format that really works. And again, also at a very competitive price point compared to our peers. Only so the difference between two is one has more active underlying components and the other one is a bit more on the passive side.
0: Now, with the launching of the new funds, what, what, what are how many are you launching? And uh, what are the different areas that you want to wade into? I mean, like there's, you know, North American, It can be, you know, just Canadian only, U.S., global, international, where, sure. where are you looking at going?
2: Yeah. So, you know, if I think about these portfolios, um, the ones that we have launched brand new are Global Innovation, so BMO Global Innovation Fund, BMO Global Income and Growth, BMO Canadian Income and Growth but we've also repositioned back our global equity fund so that the global equity team can, can manage that as well as our infrastructure fund as well. Uh, so we, we used to have a subadvisor that was managing that. We've now brought that in-house because we have that expertise coming through. Everything is looking at it from a global perspective. Um, even our Canadian current growth is looking at it from a global perspective. It just has more Canadian content. Um, so higher allocation to Canadian equities than the global version of that. But again, we're looking across the world, including emerging markets, for wherever the best opportunities lie. And this is why that sector approach that we were talking about with the the new team is so valuable, because they're looking across the world within financials, as an example, or within healthcare, and finding the best names, looking across that spectrum, to say, which one gives me the best growth, which gives me a more attractive price, which has, you know the best opportunity set, you know, on a going forward basis and and then put those together, you know, within a portfolio. And what I would say is the global increment growth and the economic growth are for clients who are looking for, you know, a, again, a global like portfolio, one-stop solution that gives you everything you need at an attractive price. The global innovation fund is looking for companies that are looking for innovation and future growth of, you know, a, in, in, in global markets, um, that is, again, more tilted in that area, and that's perfect for, for clients who, are, again, are, are looking for maybe a core and explore or building their portfolio on their own. And then, you know, we talked about the Global Equity Fund. That really is a core portfolio. So, again, if you're building your portfolio and looking for something that's going to give you global exposure to all segments of the market, that's the perfect one to utilize uh, for that fund as well. And infrastructure is tied to anybody who wants exposure to the alternative space which as we know is a growing trend and diversifies you from equities and from bonds um so infrastructure is a great asset class to utilize you know within within your portfolio
1: hey Sadiq, no. um sorry go ahead uh don't no, go
2: bondo you know you i know it's just gonna enter
0: you had a good question i know that i know you had a oh. question.
1: yeah no, i know just um i was just wondering uh Given the state of the current markets, uh, you know, everybody's kind of in awe with what's going on, whether we're going to get a hard landing or a soft landing. I think a hard landing's kind of inevitable. Um, you know, I think you spoke to that on Bloomberg uh, fairly recently as well. I don't, I'm not quoting you, but should we now be looking to or, or, or discussing with our portfolio managers a move to a more fixed income?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, if you look back to the beginning of this year, uh, we had a rough, you know, outlook for fixed income, right? Because rising interest rates are, are terrible for fixed income. Yep. I think today, though, you know, whether you're going to say the terminal rate on on you know interest rates is five percent in the U.S. or something slightly lower than that in Canada, you know, we can probably all agree that it's not going to be massively different from from that number. That means that the interest rate pain is generally behind us when it comes to stocks and bonds. And we're getting a 4% yield on the 10 year, pretty close to that. That's very attractive. And yes, we might say inflation is much higher, but inflation is starting to come down. So to me, you, know, you do wanna start looking at, at bonds as an attractive opportunity. they are also gonna act better as a stabilizer now than they have throughout this year. So when equities do have a more of a difficult environment, bonds now should hold up a little bit better and giving you a better reason to own them with a higher yield. So you're absolutely correct. Bonds look a lot more attractive today. Perfect. Thank you. So
0: with regards to, to that, like, I mean, with, with regards to the bond market, I mean, this is um, we were having this chat. uh, I think we were, we were in Vancouver, I believe it was when we ran into each other and um, it was, you know, we had the, it's the first, is it the second time in 100 years that you've had both stocks and bonds down with this much vol- volatility? Did, did I uh, recall that correctly?
2: You're absolutely right. 1969 and this year are the two times that you've seen both stocks and, and bonds down. Traditionally, you know, they're both up. And you know, there are a few times where stocks are up and bonds are down. But traditionally, what you would expect in this environment is stocks down, the bonds up really, really well. And we've seen that time and time again. But only two times... 1969 and this year, have we seen both stocks and bonds down? Which you know leads me to believe that you know 2023 shouldn't be that way, um, especially because a lot of the interest rate pain that caused that to occur is now behind this. So, so you're absolutely right. A very difficult time for for uh, clients who are in conservative portfolios, not expecting to be down as much. But this is one of those anomalies, and you know actually don't manage for those anomalies. You manage for the other 98 percent of the time where things are functioning more correctly and you try to mitigate things for this type of environment.
1: So could 69 cast any light uh, are, are the similarities to the market uh, that great that we could look to 69
2: to give us some foresight to how to pull out of this? Not, not really. I think, you know, this pandemic situation has caused a, a kind of weird environment where we threw everything including the kitchen sink and trying to support the economy. Lower interest rates, monetary, fiscal stimulus coming through, um, you know, supporting consumers, and now we got to take all of that out of the out of the system, and so it is a quite a different environment than that, um, and so this will be chalked up as another one of those situations where, if you have this back in the future, you now have something to look at, but you know, we really haven't seen this type of environment uh, before.
3: Sadiq. I'm particularly interested in the interest rates. Where do you see them going in December and and, uh, the beginning of the next year? Cause I'm in the real estate business and a builder and it's drastically affecting my industry. So I'm curious where you see you, you, you say it looks like the most of the pains behind us from the the interest. What's your uh, take on it?
2: Yeah. So I think what you're going to see is both Bank of Canada and the federal reserve go 50 basis points at their next meeting. Um, and then my expectation is for them to go 25 basis points thereafter. Um, And the reason I say that is for two things. One is they have to let, you know, everything they've done up to now filter into the economy, right? And, you know, what they should have done is gone up to the 75 basis points and the 100 earlier on rather than later on because then they have already would have been filtered into the economy and they probably would have needed to stop right now Yep. because they've just put it in so late. um, It will still need some time before it filters in. So think about six months from now, where all that that's up to now would be really filtered in. So they do need to let, slow that pace down a little bit. But inflation is not at 2%. It's still at you know, 7% and north of that. And it's important. This is the biggest distinction, I think, that the markets get wrong. The Fed has made very clear. The market thinks when inflation gets lower, the Fed is going to change their course. But it really is that the Fed is saying and central banks are saying that when interest rates get low, not lower, that they will stop and pivot. And that is the biggest difference why the market keeps getting it wrong time and time again. And we're not low, we're lower. Sadiq, I'm predicting a 0.25 Christmas present on December 7th. (laughs) Uh, That's what uh, I'm going with. but i'm hoping i'm hoping that's too as well my, my friend because that means that things are getting a little bit better on the inflation front but i think they're going to go 50. back in canada could go 25 because you know in their mind they already went 50. Yeah. um and you know they do have to worry a little bit more about housing worry a bit more about the consumer than, than the u.s does <laughs> remember if you go back to the financial crisis the 08 09 yeah 08 okay. 09 um the US consumer actually de- bal- uh, uh, delevered their balance sheet um, in that environment. Canadians didn't do it. Yeah. So we have a high debt level and therefore a bigger thorn in the side for the Bank of Canada. And they have to be a lot more careful of how you know interest rates impact those consumers with high amount of debt because it then impacts the housing market as well. So I think they have to be a little bit more careful and that gives them enough room to actually be a little slower now going forward because they were one of the fastest ones out of the gate you know, initially. Yeah, so I what, see
3: the bit, the biggest problem coming up is going to be the public outcry coming from the renewals on interest right now. So I know has got their mortgage and they haven't renewed yet, which really hasn't become part of the problem or out there yet. That's about to start happening real soon. And then you're going to see some pain happening. Right. That's, yeah. that's what I find interesting. So so what Bond says about the 0.25, I can see happening, too, because I think it's just starting the renewal issues. Yeah.
2: And that's be a big,
3: it. big problem.
2: Yeah, you right.
1: A, there was a little bit of a bump in 2018, though, on the, on the the interest rates, right? So, yeah. I mean, they, they were floating around three th- low threes, right? So there there was a little bit of an increase for for I think just 2018. So, they to your point, B95. Jeff, I- but but
3: that's before the big increase in all the values of the land or the houses, right? So everybody bought a year, year and a half ago at these
2: substantially yes. high
3: prices. Yeah. Those renewals are coming into play, and that's where the public outcry is going to come real soon.
1: I I'm already, I'm already hearing it.
3: I'm already hearing it.
1: I, I'm more more so concerned. I hear I hear you. And I'm I'm a little bit more so concerned with like uh 2024,
3: yeah. right? Yeah.
1: Because that's when you, you started seeing the one percent, you know, uh those types of people. The people that are getting affected right now are that the ones that went in variable, right? Yeah, yeah. variable and, and
3: they did a one-year or two-year term. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah and, and I would say that you know, if you go through the K market one-third actually own their home, one-third rent. So those ones that are renting are only going to get impacted by inflation you know, on a yearly basis. Um, and then a third that actually are, are, uh, have mortgages, two-thirds of those have fixed rates, right? So they're going to get impacted when they renew, but they're all renewing in 2022 or in 2023. So just think of that as maybe you know, 20% of the population is renewing you know, every single year. And then of the one-third that actually has variable rates, two-thirds of those actually have a, have a fixed payment. So as rates go up, it only eats into the interest rate portion, and you pay less principal, but your payment remains the same. So they're not really impacted, you know, unless the principal becomes zero, in which case payments have to go up. It'll and extend only... the amortization, all right, uh, Sadiq? yeah that's right right and and, well they are
3: impacted though because they're not paying any principal off at all right so it's just straight interest
2: right yeah and and that's back to the comment earlier that you know it's it's not gonna be a 2022 problem or even an early part of 23 problem but it will be a 2024 problem because more people would have then renewed more people would have to see their payments go up and the impact will be harder housing prices would have fallen a bit more and that would have impacted the sentiment as well so i don't think it's a 22 problem or early part of 23 but definitely if it continues on and we don't have rate cuts or we don't have prime less something as an option, we will see that happening as a decline in the later part of 23 and into 2024.
3: Well, the problem so, I'm finding is that people are knowing the renewals coming up. So there might be six months out or eight months out and they're already talking about that and they're starting to say, what do I do now? Because we can't afford problems. an extra 1500 to grand a month on, on interest, right? Depending on the, the size of their mortgage. So Those conversations are being the. Re- What's your prediction
1: ready. Sorry, Jeff. what's your prediction on them cu- cutting the interest rate, I guess?
2: So, I don't, yeah, I, I don't see an interest rate cut happening in 2023 right now, um, because I think that by the time they stop and then try to let the economy filter the current amount of rates, you know, that will be almost all of 2023. And they've even said that they want, even when rates are low, to keep the pressure still on because what they don't want to see is a spike up after that, because they've loosened up the monetary standards. Um, so to me, I don't think they're going to see rate cuts in 2023, but maybe in 2024. And it really depends on the job picture, right? I mean, we have a great job picture going on at the moment, um, which I think prevents us from a, a big hard landing or a long lasting recession. Um, and I think that will be the key. Now, if we do have a hard landing, for sure we'll get rate cuts. Um, but where we might get some benefit out of the housing market is, back to that comment about, you know, when you get rates much higher than we're at today, then what happens are banks and other lenders start competing with each other and they start to kick off a little less than what's actually out there in terms of rates. You start seeing prime less something. Um, so then you actually get a little bit of what we would consider a rate cut in the mortgage market as a result of that. And that could give a little bit more relief, you know, down the road as well. I'm dreaming of a Q4 2023.
0: <laughs> I
1: hope. I hope you're it's right, <laughs> Um, So,
0: on that yeah, and, note, and, actually, and so not forget, my and, r-
2: go ahead. Go ahead, Sadiq. So, I was going to say, a I, I mean, people have built up a, a decent amount of equity, right, over the last few years in their homes because prices have gone up so much. So, there's also a little bit of buffer from that. If you bought it more than two years ago, you have a lot of buffer in the system. So and before the pain becomes really big, you need to wipe out some of those gains that we've seen over the last few years. And, and we're getting close to, closer to that, but we're not quite there yet. As long as they didn't refinance for that pool that everybody got last year, right? <laughs> yes.
3: Everybody got pools. <laughs>
0: Now, on that, uh, it, this is a, a bit of a coincidence. Just to let you know, just 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 hitting Bloomberg right now, Lale uh, Bernard, who is the vice chair of the Fed, has just said that um, it's probably soon to slow the pace of rate hikes. So, I don't know, Sadiq. I think you're <laughs> spot on there with with what you just said because slow in the in the you know everyday person, they're like, oh, they're gonna cut interest rates. And in-. no, no, slow means I think to your point. 50 basis points or, you know, we're hoping for a 25 basis points. But I'm I think that that literally just hit Bloomberg right now. Um, They just said soon and soon is in quotations, it's not. um, (laughs) Yeah, they didn't give an actual date. So that just goes to show you
4: um,
2: the card game that's going on. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like I said, that's the key is, you know, if, if the inflation number came out first, you know and then the fed came out after we would have had a different environment right now because people would have been excited by high inflation number and then the fed would have crushed it by saying nope we're not changing our path going forward but the fed came out first and inflation came out after which is given people the optimism until the next meeting comes where the fed will have to reiterate again that you know inflation is still relatively high we still need to put our foot on the pedal and the terminal <coughs> rate is still going to be higher than what most people are expecting but Sadiq, how do, we, how
1: do we get out of a world that you don't, you know, the layperson doesn't look at this from the perspective that it's an opportunity to pay off all that big fat debt that the, that the governments have accumulated and that the fat cats that have already lost
2: yeah, I mean, what w- the way to look at this, I'd say, is first is you know, you know what's coming in terms of higher rates and you know more costs for your for your debt. So so yeah, you know whether you're the government or you're an individual, you're looking to try to you know, fix your balance sheet, um, pay down what you can, carry as minimal debt as possible, you know, tighten up your belts a little bit because it's going to be a, a rougher ride. We are going to see more job losses coming through. I mean. You saw what Meta just made out with, you know, was it 13,000 jobs or or 13% of the workforce? Um, So that's going to continue on, and that's going to have impacts. And, you know, what you have to be is very careful about what you're spending on. And that's why we think, you know, you want to be looking at areas that are like consumer staples versus consumer discretionary. Because when people are are forced to spend on on things that they, they actually have to spend on, it's the staples, right? It's not the luxury items. You know that they do when things are great and the economies are hot. So I, I think it's gonna be very important to watch how people's balance sheets play out, including you know our governments as well. Isn't the staples where all the price gouging is going on right now? So it is and this is the this is the problem, right? Because they've also looked really good because they've had inflated revenues because of inflation, right? That the, the five dollar you know item is now costing 750. Uh, it will come back to five. So if they sell the same amount of goods but the price point is lower, that means lower revenue, lower margins. Um, but you will still at least see people spending in those areas versus discretionary where not only will the price points come down, but you will have less people buying it. And therefore your sales totally will come off or, or get deferred until things get much better. And so to me, you still want to tilt towards the staple side of things versus the discretionary side. So even thinking about the Walmarts of the world, right? They're better in this environment because people will spend more in, in their um, in their stores, and more people will come there than traditionally. Now, based so on good this, point. The, Good,
0: good the, point. Good on, up, on the heels of, of of this vice chair news, um, Kathy <laughs> Wood from Ark Investments. I mean, that is, um, she made a, a comment. Uh, well, I got, I read it this morning, so it, it, you know, um, it probably happened over the weekend where she feels the us in particular and i'd love to hear your thoughts on this is at a 1920 crossroads in the sense of what she meant by that is that if the fed doesn't get it right um we're we could be potentially looking at 1929 or if the fed does start tightening or start waning off of their monetary policy um and starts slowing down the interest rate hikes and cutting them that we very might very well might be on the cusp of the roaring 20s. Um, in both cases, where do you see that leaning towards, uh, notwithstanding a potential, you know, when we talk about recession, we talk about two consecutive quarters of GDP contraction, really. So it's really not as impactful. But is that possible? And then on the heel of that, we all know how the roaring
1: 20s ended, which is something we don't want either. Yeah. So... Like, go are ahead. you equating the war that. to the pandemic? Kind of in that sense, was she equating the war to the pandemic? It there was a lot of similarities. Like, okay. so yeah. Mark Twain famously says,
0: you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it certainly does rhyme. And so that's what she was kind of like. Hey, we have a we have a war going, a big war going on right now. We just finished a, a pandemic. You know, go, but Sadiq. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Go
2: ahead. Yeah, it's a great. I mean, I mean Doug Porter, our, our chief economist, makes that same statement about the, the rhyming uh, versus repeating. Um, what I would say is that, first, I don't think we're in a bear market completely. What I mean is we are, we're in a bull market that's gone on for the last 10 years. Then COVID came, so it was a big pandemic. We had to readjust, so cut rates tremendously, add tons of stimulus, and now that, for the most part, COVID is behind us, um, we need to reverse that. And so there's a bear market within a bull market. And so once we reverse that bear market part out, then we will back onto a bull market you know, going forward. And I say that because, you know, companies that were great before COVID are going to be great after COVID. They've learned to become more digital because of what's going on. They've learned to work with less people and, and make a go of it. Sure, input costs are going to be higher because of wages um, and you know trying to attract more people to work there. But you know people have learned how to add you know in different <coughs> ways from the normal bricks and mortar to more internet oriented, more digitalization. All of that's going to be great for economies of scale and profitability on a going forward basis. So I do think that you know we're within a, a stronger bull market. We're just having a bit of a pause. Um, that needs to kind of re-rate itself because of what's going on with, with interest rates. So I don't see a, a massive downturn long-term. I do think that, you know, <laughs> the next year will be a little bit more challenging because of the earnings cycle. Um, we saw massive companies report, you know, difficult uh, earnings, you know, whether that's Google, Amazon, Microsoft, uh, Meta. Uh, that will continue on, I think, into Q3, Q1 Q and maybe even Q2 of 23. But then everything will get repaired. The balance sheets will come back to normal. You'll see growth coming back in. We'll be back to a roaring bull market in that environment. So it might be a bit of both of what Kathy Wood was saying, and she's a smart investor. Uh, But I think it's a combination of of both, you know, those two periods where you might see a difficult period, you know, because we need to get inflation down um, and rates have to still stay high for a period of time. But I also think it's the other part of it where, once all that's done, you know, we do have still a, a great environment where rates will start to come back down again. Inflation will be back to the low levels. Consumers will start to, you know, improve their balance sheets. And then they'll get back to spending because we know the consumer is very resilient. Uh, and, and But they'll have to be a little bit more careful in 23 and then hopefully get back to a better environment in 2024 and onwards. So
1: I got a quick question and I'm... Not at all uh, a savvy uh, financial, uh, you know, advisor or, or anything the like, uh, you know, akin to you or, or Brandon. So I apologize, maybe a little bit of my ignorance, but um, don't put me in the same group as Sadiq, please. <laughs> please be low on that totem pole. <laughs> definitely higher than me, that's for sure. <laughs> and I wasn't intending to, to offend or draw any uh, unruly comparisons there, but I understand the Nasdaq to be more of a techie a techie um why is it getting crushed like the yeah. nasdaq's down like uh, by a third i think almost right relative you know you the dow and uh, you know our tsx are the two major indices that i follow right apart with the, the nasdaq as well and maybe yeah. was it mcsi or whatever but um why is it? Why is it that our techies are are, are, are are feeling so much of the brunt? Is it because they've experienced, you know, such a, um, a sharp growth that now they're just, you know, they plateaued. Uh, the growth was too 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 high. I, I mean, I don't know. It,
2: more yeah. for you, maybe to cast yeah, some it, insight. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, you know, this is one of our our, our best calls throughout this year that we've been underweight in technology and uh, growth. Because we knew coming into the environment that rates would go up. Now, we didn't know it was going to be as many rate hikes as, as we've seen. But we know if that's going to happen, you know, the companies that had the biggest growth, that have the highest valuations, will have to come down the most. Um, and that generally was the technology companies. That even within the technology space, you have to uh, take those um, names and separate them into two categories. There's the companies, as I mentioned, that were really great before covid Um, that had strong growth, good balance sheets and and whatnot. They had to come down because their values got expensive. And then you had companies that really grew within COVID. um, And people were expecting that sort of growth to continue for the the foreseeable future. But that didn't happen because obviously COVID is now roughly behind us. And that sort of environment is changing, right? So you've seen that with streaming names. You've seen that with some of the um, EV makers. So demand has changed from that perspective, and they have to have a double whammy: one from the standpoint of their valuation are too expensive, but also their earnings numbers have now changed on the downside. So they got hit by both the P and the E in the PE ratios, and that impacted more of the Nasdaq names than it did the S and P broader names, or again the Dow names, which are more value-oriented, more larger cap type companies that again are more tied to different parts of the economy than than the growth side. So that's why you saw the NASDAQ drop as much, but it's also why when you saw the inflation print look a lot better than people were expecting, it was also the one that led on the upside as well. So if you think we're getting more pain, you want to be underrated the NASDAQ. If you think we're going to get some upside here, you probably want to own those type of names because they have, again, a better growth trajectory than the broader market. Perfect. Thank you.
0: Now, with the, um, I've got a you know, a couple like things that we you know topics I guess themes that we've been talking about in the last couple of episodes and and you know uh, I know uh, Trev you were going to touch on this because um, you and I talk about this quite a bit uh, with regards to you know the meme and crypto stocks. If you want to maybe ask uh, your insight there and and what have you because um, you know I you and I have you know kind of had off our side conversations and on how these meme stocks took off. And then now they're, you know, but cause you see it also as a mortgage broker, right? So on people like looking at trying to get into the market, both from real estate, but also saving up for down payments and using that as down payment strategy.
4: Yeah, for sure. Right. So uh, basically Sadiq just, yeah. Along the lines of meme stocks, overall performance where you see, you know, things going as well as crypto. Like, is it, is it done? Is it, uh, Still a wise investment for people to be making, or has that ship sailed a long time ago?
2: Yeah, crypto is a very interesting one. Obviously, very uh, topical at the moment. What I would say is um, they're very different forms of, of cryptocurrency, um, and there's also the infrastructure and the blockchain behind it. I think, if like I the think regulation, uh, Sadiq? is that what you're referring to? Well, well, well. There's, there's 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 not as much regulation, but where I think they're you know more uses for cryptocurrency and where i think um the broader use of it is going to be better is to the infrastructure underlying it so think about ethereum and other things as well as the blockchain that actually fuels all of this you know on a going forward basis the blockchain to me is something of the game every every company will utilize you know in different ways um, because you know being able to verify something once and then relying on it on a constant basis you know is, is fantastic just think about you know when you go to you know, any sort of company and you have to give all your information, your financial uh, records, and then you go to another company, you do something else and you have go through all that all over again. And the blockchain is a way of saying you've already been verified once. Now we'll just tap into that to make sure that, you know, it's the same information, but no need to go through all that process again. Um, that to me has more, you know, credibility and more usage down the road for, for cryptocurrency to me, you know, the regulation is a big part of, you know, where we would think whether to invest or not invest. It's not saying that I don't think it will be much higher, you know, you know, a couple of years from now or not, but the risk spectrum is where I worry more about it. And, and we've seen evidence of that more recently um, with some failures. Obviously FTX is, is a big one that popped up. The bankruptcy they're going through as well. Um, but those things can happen, right, without proper regulation uh, coming through. And, and that's the part that worries me. But we never want to be an investment where you can win, you know, a ton, but also lose every single penny you have in it. That's not, to me, you know, good long-term value. Um, if people want to do that from a speculative perspective on the side and do and with money that they can afford to lose, that, that's a whole different ballgame. But I think, you know, where we want to be careful about it and what we might want to look at down the road is, you know, how some of those uses are being used, whether it's the metaverse um, or, again, the more blockchain more broadly. Um, or more broadly digital assets. I think that's where, you know, the opportunity might be, you know, down the road. Talk more on the metaverse, Sadiq, please. <laughs> right. You brought
1: it up. I wasn't going to go there, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it.
2: Yeah. We should bring Malcolm and Jeremy who are, who are Kings in, this, in that space or even probably my, my kids. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but what I would say is, you know, the metaverse is something that is still in its infancy. Um, you know, will it play out over the next year or two? I don't know. I mean, remember back in the late 1990s, a lot of the things about you know buying things on the internet or you know doing things you know in a different way didn't play out over the next three five years. They played out over the next decade, um, and the stocks went up and down. You know, over that period of time, eventually up, but it took some time to get there. That same could be true with the Meta Universe. I mean, you know, Facebook changing their name to the Meta you know, it actually changed, you know, their outlook and it went actually negative, right? Um, And now they're going to cut back on spending. They haven't changed their focus still on Meta. They just have realized maybe we're spending too much, you know, given the environment we're in today. So I do think Meta is going to be something that's going to continue on, you know, whether it's buying real estate in the Metaverse um, or advertising in that space. But it's another revenue engine that I think, you know, people will have to look at. And I still think it's in its early infancies uh, going forward. But, you know, based on, you know, the popularity of gaming, which, again, definitely got more heightened during COVID, but I don't think it's going away by any means, um, will continue to be an important part as, you know, kids or or adults, you know, go into that space and they want to, you know, change their avatar and change what they wear or want to promote things um, and do other things. There's going to be a market there for that space. What that dollar value is for it, is still unknown but there is an opportunity I think in that space that people should be you know thinking about as part of their broader portfolio crazy I feel like my father right
1: just <laughs> so, so uh, uh, skeptical of it right like
2: uh, uh. yeah it's, 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 a hard, it's a hard thing to put your arm around like you know I, I don't oh, see yeah. myself doing that but you know I'm, I might be one of the minorities like you Josh I, who knows yeah, well, my kids are right in all that right now. It's yeah. insane—the metaverse
3: and on Twitter. Like Curry always says about my son and all that, two hundred thousand followers now. Two hundred thousand yeah. followers. Thirteen-year-old with two hundred thousand followers now, I, I, and he's on there. Is he nice. going to tweet this episode
0: for crying yeah. out loud? Can he help yeah. his dad
2: out? Yeah, no. <laughs> he wants to crush his dad in the metaverse. That's what yeah. he wants to do. I think I gotta hire like twenty of these kids to just be there to give me the insights of what's That's going crazy. on. Crazy. Well, it's
3: and he's just teaching himself on it by, by hanging out on there and learning from other, other people who tweet and all that. And, and my, my, my 10-year-old now, he's all over the metaverse and buying. It's crazy. <laughs> the, the economy for that stuff is insane. Me, me and Trevor, to be honest, we, we both play a video game that just launched the new Call of Duty. And that's a billion dollars in sales in the first week. You know, So it's, it's such an economy out there that you know, it's hard to grasp what's going on. But the, the numbers are just insane.
2: Yeah, it, it, it's so true, right? And, and Brandon, you are gonna probably ask me this next year when you say, oh, I, I hear you hired two new kids on your team and they might be <laughs> yeah. coming through. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll get a resume made up for both my boys.
3: The funny part is like my, my kids, they play Roblox. It's like a metaverse game and mm-hmm. they, all they wanted for the birthday was like cards for it. And then they'd spend $20 like on an outfit for this, this character to wear, you know? And the yeah. amount of money that goes into that is insane, you know, and it's, Ten years from now, these kids will have grown up their whole life with it, and it's just going to continue to evolve. So it's. Hence, Sadiq's uh, point
1: to the the. It makes me shake my head, you know. Decade, I, right? I I feel like
2: my dad looking at it, like, "Oh my god, what are you kids doing?" <laughs> yeah. Well, what's funny is I, I was laughing when I watched my kids watching people play. I was like, "What? You're watching people play?" I like, oh, oh they love it. <laughs> <laughs> and they like, love oh. it. And and then they're bidding on how much to you know pay first. You know, them to change again what their character is playing is wearing or you know what they're gonna do next. I'm like, wow, this is a whole new, and then there's even obviously some betting goes on and stuff like that too, as well. It's just a whole new environment.
3: Esports now they have like multi million dollar tournaments where you're playing hockey on a video game and winning Mm. monster money. You know, it's yeah,
1: it's it's, it's insane. You got a hold this
3: calling. (laughs) <laughs> I miss my. I, you can't keep up with these kids. Like, I'll play Call of Duty with them with my buddies, and I get crushed by like a 10 year old, and he's swearing at me on there and all that. And you're like, they, they need a 40 year old <laughs> league and higher for me to play in because I can't keep plus. up with them. 40 oh, plus league. Yeah. I got to be in the, the PGA, the seniors tour, you know? Like, it's insane. Yeah. But it's no. big bucks. It's big bucks.
2: So, true. Well,
0: so on so on that you know there's there's a, a another another Buffett quote and and this will go on what we're talking about right now and, and the, the one of the famous quotes is a high tide raises all ships but then Buffett will will um you know chime in and he just chimed in uh, I I don't know probably definitely in the last week or two and this is more on the cusp of the the failure of FTX which is the exchange for the second largest exchange for crypto in the world uh it just filed for chapter 11 bankruptcy um, and then Buffett famously went, yes, a high tide does raise all shi- uh, ships, but it's not when, it's not until the tide
1: recedes, recedes that it grabs do the you know,
0: Do you know if they all have their swimsuits on or not?
1: Yeah.
0: So essentially, you don't know until they start to fail whether or not you bet on the right horse. Because we find that with, with the thing that really concerns me and, I acknowledge how things are, you know, you know, coming, moving forward and progressing, which is great. And disruption is is always good. Um, But I think what where my heart goes is when people don't do their due diligence for for one reason or another. Um, And then you find out like something like FTX happens. Right. And he's in the Bahamas and his private plane went to Argentina. And we don't know where the heck this guy is um and people have lost like there's billions of dollars wiped out um so so what are some of the things that you as as the cio of 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 bmo and then i'll give you one one other stat to kind of correlate to some of the information we get on a timely basis with sec regulated companies so for example amazon lost a trillion dollars since the beginning of the year from in market cap But we also find out they also have to do their SEC filings. They also have to disclose. So we know, for example, according to Bloomberg, that since Q4 of 2019 to Q4 of 2021, they hired 800,000 people. So you as the CIO of of Bank of Montreal and, and your team can use that data to make a decision on whether or not they should invest or not invest. So I guess again, it's a multi-layered question to you. Is what should someone look for, um, and then two, how do you and how do you and your team, um, how are you going to hedge against these 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 types of distru- massive disruptions, um, and what do you look for from the intrinsic value of certain companies before you you know because you're you're building this global equity management team. And, you know, you, you've got a you've got a lot of trust coming in from a lot of advisors who've seen you do it once before, a couple times before. So go, we go want down our secrets. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Give us your
2: IP. <laughs> well, give us your IP. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all know Warren Buffett is, is probably the smartest investor out there. And um, and, you know, that analogy is a pretty good one. Right. Yeah. If you don't know. You know if they're wearing a swimsuit or not if you don't know all the questions all the answers to the questions you want to ask you should invest in it um and that's you know to me is a, is a premise you know, for us as well um we want to own a company we want to know it inside out we want to know the risks we want to know the opportunities we want to know when we want to get in when we want to get out um, those are all well well laid out in our reports and an important part of us investing then in addition to that, you obviously want to have the smart people who can dig a little bit deeper, have the foresight of things going forward. They are checking through, again, all the regulators, all the reports that go out there, and understand making sure that this business, you know, what is the opportunity set that's going forward? And it doesn't mean you won't own things that you know don't have growth today but are potentially going to have growth in the, for- in the future. It just means you understand the risks that could go on in order to get to that growth or that may not get there as well. And that's important. And that's why we went out and got all these smart investors um, who have seen this time and time again, that are so familiar with these companies that can dig under the hood. Um, the global equity team as a good example, know their sector so well, inside and out. They've talked to the management companies. They know them, you know, from year by year basis, they know what they've done, what they haven't done well. So that is the most important, you know, research you can do. And it's the best way to risk manage against, you know, any sort of major declines in, in any particular names. Right. And you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket, right? You want to spread it across so that even if something does go wrong, it's spread across a broader portfolio and won't destroy your portfolio value. uh, Because that can happen if you're all invested in one particular thing. You've seen that with Enron in the past. Mm. Um, and you're seeing that if you have you know just money in, in in Bitcoin or cryptocurrency as well. So to me, you know, the best way to make sure that you know clients portfolios are, are well protected is have strong risk management, have strong, you know, investors on your team that understand markets really well and their domain really well, collaborate to make sure that you've got all the perspectives in place. And you understand what's going on in the markets, not only your asset class, but across other asset classes, not only your geography, but other geographies, because what might be happening in a different part of the world may eventually happen in your region as well. So putting all of that together minimizes our chance of major downturns, you know, in, in particular names. And, and if we do that consistently well over time, we'll produce great results for our clients. Again, assuming markets and everything else, you know. Go as expected.
1: Hence, a lot of the big investors are uh, very tentative with crypto right now, right?
2: That, that, that's right. I mean, you, you've seen a lot that are in there. Yeah. That's exactly. Yep. They can't put their 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 minds around it properly, and the regulation part, right? And that's why guys like Warren Buffett don't really, you know, invest, you know, in that space. They might look at again the underlying pieces that are the infrastructure behind yep. it, but but not you know the broader part of it. Makes so perfect sense.
0: Okay, on that, you you you've touched on a couple key pieces here um, that that I love, and 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 one you, you talked about you referenced the '90s and the dot com you know boom and then bust in you know '99 2000. Um, so you you've lived through it, you've seen it, um, and then you also built a fund company right from scratch. So anyone that's thinking this is why I have the confidence um, because you built SLGI right in the the crappiness of the 08 financial crisis um, and and SLGI was the one of the fastest growing if not the fastest growing at one point in time fund company so the the, the legacy and the CVs there so I guess my question is when we're, when we're going into this metaverse and this this different type of universe where you know it took a decade in some cases a decade and a half I'll use an example. If we bought Microsoft in 2002, 2003, the multiples, so I think on the PE ratio was like in some cases up to 30 times. Do like, we have to do this?
1: Even. I lived huh? in this era.
0: <laughs> right. Like you didn't break even on Microsoft until 2011, 2012, like 10 years later. So how do you? Now building this fund, comp- these these funds, these global asset management funds, right from the ground up, you and your team. How do you justify some of these multiples that are going on right now?
2: Yeah, and, and, and this is where right? again back back to the expertise that we have. So in in the technology space and innovation space, um, you know, talking to our our two key PMs on that space, is you look at things from a different perspective. One is. You don't have the same sort of time horizon for everything you own in that space. So some that you know are gonna play out over a much longer horizon, some that are gonna play out a bit more in the shorter term. Um, so that's how you look at it. From a multiple standpoint, you know, you have to figure out, right? What is that growth trajectory going to look like? And you're sure it's gonna be expensive than your, produ- your traditional consumer staple type name, um, but what is the probability of us being able to get there? And if the probability is high, and we can get some vis- visibility into that growth, then you want to own it. Um, and you always pay more for growth or, growth companies than you do with non-growth companies. Um, and the key, again, is just to understand that uh, th- theme that's going on, understand the company really well, and, and know the balance sheets you know exceptionally well as well. And that gives you the comfort to invest in it over a period of time. And then you also have to be aware of, you know, what are the risks in that? And so if you start seeing some of those risks popping up more and more, you get out of that name before it becomes a disaster, right? Because, you know, you're not going to get every company right, but a good investor gets more right than wrong. And that's what you want to do. And if you do that consistently over an extended period of time, you end up in really good results, right? You end up with Warren Buffett. Yep. You end up with guys like Warren Buffett. I mean, he has, he's had some tough years behind the sure. market. Sure. But, sure. you know, if you invested with him since day one, boy, you'd be uh, exceptionally rich. <laughs> to say the least. Right? Think,
0: <laughs> that's right.
2: Well, and, and when you
0: were when you were also an, an actuarist and, and also getting into this field, I mean, I think the average hold was, you know, six or seven years. And now I think the average hold for a retail investor is six or seven months. So how do you like the... the Everyone has memories like squirrels. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's it's off to the you know, to find the the next best shiny thing. Um, what kind of obviously there's the usual buy and hold strategy that your team is going to implement, but what are what are some key police places besides the obvious, which is invest in, you know, the new VMO funds. But like if you're a retail <laughs> investor on your wealth simple act, you know, doing whatever. What are some key like like Take a deep breath, you know, back away, like, don't react. Like, what are some key things that, what are some key things that
2: uh, you've learned over the years and don't sell when the market's low,
1: right?
0: Yeah.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah. I think the most important thing I realize is that, you know, when everybody is scared is the best opportunity in the world um, because risk is exceptionally cheap during that period of time. Nobody wants to own it. Right. Think about it. the financial crisis, Think about, you know, right at the, at the worst of the COVID situation um, you know the world will have difficulties, but we've always recovered off it. Right. And the question is, you know, do you want to get scared with everybody else during that period of time? Or do you want to be that person who, who can put their foot a little bit over the over the ledge there, um, knowing very well that things will get better? Governments, as you've seen, won't let markets get to the levels that would be disastrous. Um, stimulus comes in and strong companies withstand generally doesn't mean all the time, but they generally do. So the odds are in your favor, right? Um, the question is just timing and patience. And because we do believe in markets, we do believe in mean reversion. Um, when things are overdone, we want to be buyers. Um, similarly, when things are extended, we want to be sellers. And you have to have a disciplined process in place to do that. Um, so you have to be tactical. So, you know, I wouldn't say debt is buy and hold because I think you can still do that with names. But, you know, from a portfolio perspective, I think you have to be able to say, if my long-term assumptions on the stock market are call it 7 to 10%, and right now my outlook for the next year is zero or minus, then you do want to trip, right? You want to be able to adjust your portfolio slightly for that environment because the short-term doesn't align with your long-term. And, you know, even if you have a 7 to 10 year percent return over the long term, it doesn't mean every single year is going to be that. So if one year is, you know 25 and the next year's 30 percent, there's a pretty good chance that the next few years are going to be balancing that back down to 7 to 10, which means lower than 7, 10, 7 to 10 percent return. So that's where you want to be you know, adjusting the portfolio and adjusting to where the best risk return tradeoffs are. Uh, unfortunately, this year, a good example, well, there was nowhere to go except cash. That was where the risk reward is. But now as things have reverted, um, fixed fix income is looking a little bit more attractive. Some segments and sectors are looking, looking a little bit more attractive. And that's how you want to be able to, to, to tactically adjust. So vinyl is not debt. In some names, you want to be able to hold that because they're great companies that you have to just give them time. But in other areas, you know, the, the dynamics have changed. Um, the environment has changed. The thesis has changed. The interest rate environment has changed. And that has changed the outlook for a company. You do need to react.
1: Now, will you be looking at all with your your um, your assets? Will you be looking at all to an acquisition and pull apart?
2: Um, we always look at opportunities. So I'll say that you know we have a pretty good balance sheet. Um, opportunities will always come you know our way because of our size and our brand, um, and we'll always look at it from this way: does it you know does it improve what we are offering today? Does it work with our culture? Does it improve our collaboration? You know, I like always using this term, does one plus one equal three with, that, with the acquisition? <laughs> um, and of course, does the price point make sense for us? Um, and if all else does, then it becomes a possibility for us to, to look at it and, and move forward. Um, but you know, there aren't too many of those, I would say at the moment, um, but you know, we're always willing to look and, and do the right thing. As long as it makes sense, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, and and we have a broader bank, right, which is which is excellent as well. And always looking to, you know, look for opportunities.
0: So also like the you're also looking at uh, even private equity um, in, in, in that space as well, looking at doing some maybe some short term debt. Uh, lending uh to you know because right re- and the reason why i'm bringing that up i don't know we we only we have the people who constantly interact with us uh online and again thank you to, to mal and leanne to all the ones that uh come in and, and you know throw in their comments we really appreciate it mm-hmm. um but there's a lot of people who watch um you know over twenty thousand people get to see this podcast so the the the, the short-term uh space because people are like Trevor has commented many times before it's getting harder and harder to get approved for loans and stuff like that. Um, what are your thoughts in, 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 in going into that space with, you know, private, private, private debt being
2: in the, in the double digits now? Yeah. I and mean, we, 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 are growing an alts team here, um, which I see is very promising. Um, you know, clients have been underinvested in the alt space. Um, and in that space, you know, there's things like obviously private debt, uh, private equity, um, hedge funds, um, and you name it. Um, I think right now where we've started is to look through our broader bank and opportunities for us to take some of the stuff that we've, we've created, package it out to a, a solution that works for our clients. Um, traditionally, right now, they're focusing on the high network side of things, but eventually we'll look at other ways of doing that. Uh, but we have things like infrastructure or again, you know, down the road, uh, real estate that we think will be great for you know, core portfolios uh, for the everyday client. So I do agree that, you know, private debt, private fixed income, all these things are are things that should be in people's portfolios, Um, but not everybody has that knowledge in that space. So it's important for them to understand, you know, what they're investing in and how it's different than the public markets. Um, As we talked, you know, valuations are not exactly the same. Um, You know, the way their um, horizons are, are a little different as well. Sometimes you can't get out of them right away as well. So all those things are important distinctions that need to be uh, known before people invest in it. But there's definitely things that, you know, we're, we're looking at and, and we're investing in.
0: Well, uh, just knowing that you do have a hard stop in, in, in about uh, 14 minutes, I'm just being very cognizant of your time because we are extremely humbled that you agreed to do this. So thank you very much. Yeah. Um, Trev, do you Appreciate have any follow-up? Uh, anything that uh, we haven't touched on just before we, Collins, Bondo, anything? No, I
1: I just want to tip my hat to you. Best of luck, right, uh, in terms of uh, the continued growth of your team and the rollout. Um, and kind of look forward to uh, seeing it play out. And hopefully, uh, you know, we see you again.
3: I hope you're wrong about the half-basis point in December. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be happy to be
2: wrong on that. Trust me, I'll be happy to be wrong on that. <laughs> yeah yeah no, I know mean, let, uh, let, let, let me say as well I mean like you know working with you guys is, is fantastic I mean this is a third generation right if I'm not mistaken and, and making yes, others I mean that that's fantastic because I've known you guys for for a bit of time as well and and I know you guys do all the right things for, for clients and I think that's fantastic It's the type of people I like working with um, that ask the right questions do the right stuff. You know build relationships with with clients um and that makes me proud you know as a as a person that, that deals with you guys so so I, I really thank you very much for for giving me this opportunity thank you very much for letting me part of you, be part of your story um and i do think we're building something really really great here great brand great investors and i think we're going to provide great insights and performance to our clients
0: well, we really appreciate you taking the time uh, and coming on. We we really do. This is a, a huge. Uh, you've given us a huge, huge professional insight into to what's going mm-hmm. on in the market right now. And uh, um, if there's any guys, is, is there anything else? I think we're just uh, make we're sure
1: we get them a couple of mugs on behalf of our sponsor. Brad oh yeah, don't worry. I'm seeing I'm seeing <laughs> Eric on Wednesday. Perfect. So yeah. left handed mugs.
3: Are you
1: left handed yeah, or right handed? <laughs> yeah
2: this is my mug at the moment yeah, <laughs> <way>.
0: <laughs> we'll you a professional insight mug don't worry yeah. Yeah, too. actually yes <laughs> but uh thank you so much we really appreciate it we, we won't take up any much more of your time and uh if you you know thank you uh, and to anyone that's uh listening or watching please send us any questions you want for us to send to sadiq directly we can do that and we would um, like uh, to maybe.
1: Have you back on, you know, in another
3: uh, we could do it fun. in the metaverse, we could do it in the
2: metaverse one, right? <laughs> you know, just we no, no we one knows leave, how to do that. we we'll your kids there, Jeff, to help us do that, but I' oh, my kid, be my 10 year old, set it up. Yeah, great, uh, just because
1: we'd like to see, you know, how you know we're looking at things now, and then you know, in four to six months from now, how you know they've played out relative to what we were commenting on.
2: Yeah, no, I'd be I'd absolutely be happy to come back.
1: Fantastic.
0: Appreciate it. Well, thank you very much, Sadiq. Thanks a million. Um, we Sadiq. really, really appreciate it. You're more than welcome to stay on. We're just gonna go do a quick little round table before we uh we finish it up and thank our sponsors and everything like that. Um uh, Bono, do you have any any thanks very much, Sadiq? Okay, By all guys. means I it.
1: feel no obliged. Thanks. Uh <laughs> um, no,
0: I just yeah, like, I wanna no, por- first of yeah. all, like holy crap. That's yeah, amazing. Nice
3: guy. Yeah. Nice guy.
0: Really, well really spoken.
3: awesome. Formative, well yeah. spoken good guys.
1: oh yeah That's, uh... i like it no it's good um i like the music on a somber note uh just want to throw it out there to the the world that uh we lost a dear uh friend at Picario and colleague uh and our accountant last night uh, oh, nice. uh, francine holmes so just want to you know pay her a little homage and uh, recognize condolences
3: her, uh, to all you guys
1: yeah oh, no for sure she was everybody. the sweetest of sweetest of ladies and uh you know retired last year came back on to do some contract work for us and
0: uh
1: yeah that's it cheers
0: well thanks very much sorry to hear that uh bondo uh collins
3: yeah, well, uh, I guess I can give a nice little uh, shout out to Bridge and Quarry. We've got uh, our townhouses officially up for sale right now in Port Cobrin. Thirteen townhouses, uh, nice. nine middle units, four end units, and two semis. And we are going to pre-sell some of them so you can customize if you want. To. So give me a call if you're interested. Nice. That's, That's my Bridge
0: show. Bridgeandquarry.com. Bridgeandquarry.com.
1: Sierra Smith got out. a nice shout out from uh, from Sadiq.
0: Yeah. 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 That's good. Well, we all, like, we're, 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 we're avid fans. Yeah. We're avid fans. Like, we're I can see fans.
3: why. I can see why. As well yeah. As well. yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, yes. is. <clears throat> yeah. Lindy, do you have anything uh, besides the obvious of the freight train coming at us probably in December with a 50 basis points hike? You know what I mean? We'll see.
4: 25. Honestly, 25. Honestly, I have no idea. There was a really interesting article that, that was in uh, the... Globe and mail this morning. Uh, actually, it was the Parliamentary Budgetary Office um, that it, it's not a prediction of what's actually happening, but it's you know kind of an insight. And they called it a hypothetical exercise. And basically, what they were getting at in this article was to the effects of um, <laughs> the the Bank of Canada can be as aggressive as they want, but you know from their analysis, they really don't see that it's. Given any added benefit to bringing uh, inflation numbers down,
3: hmm. so it was pretty interesting read. Well, let's just drop the price of the chunky soup at uh, at Sobeys. That's five dollars a can now. That used to be two dollars, and then maybe inflation will come down. Couldn't believe
1: Listen. it. Go Big Daddy style. Do, throw it on the ground, man. All, this all, all we have to do. Stop buying. Do, Stop buying. Guys,
0: the solution is all we got to do is all cancel Disney Plus. And inflation
3: will take care of itself, okay? But now you need Paramount Plus because yeah. Yellowstone's only on yes. Paramount Plus. So you got to cancel <laughs> Disney to get Jeez. Paramount Plus in order to get Paramount. Paramount's cheaper the though. Games. They made a bundle last night, I'm sure. Fifty bucks for the year. I was like, well, I got to watch this episode, so we buy. It. <laughs> <laughs> what episode was this? Sorry, Yellowstone. Yellowstone. It's it oh, all right. Yeah, they did some crazy ratings not on I'm sure, on, uh, yesterday. Netflix or Prime anymore? or anything just on Paramount. Paramount. <laughs> oh, they're not on Prime anymore. They've got two shows there on there, really. They got Tulsa, which <laughs> is the new Sylvester <laughs> yeah. Stallone show, and it's Yellowstone. Out. But everybody last <laughs> night, Facebook, how do you watch it? How do you watch it? And you can't stream it till today. <laughs> so you had to get Paramount Plus.
4: So Yellowstone, up, to answer your question, Curry, Yellowstone season ah. one to four are still on Prime Video, but he's referring to season five that just
1: came
0: out that's what okay no wonder I couldn't find it okay that's why yeah.
1: what about your world curry
0: yeah we're just holding on tight so I mean I posted an article to my LinkedIn uh, last week um, i shout outs to my colleague uh, Michael Peacock who shared the the chart with me it just reaffirmed um, why you need to stay in the market and very much what I was trying to you know talk to Sadiq about and um, is listen if you believe in the strategy and you believe in what you what the direction that you're going in, just because you're getting spooked, just because things are going on sale, you shouldn't um, just immediately sell because everybody else buy, is. Um, buy. You know what's that? Buy. Yeah, absolutely. You it's time buy. to buy. Now it's, not, now it's time to buy. So October was probably the the best month for all three indexes. Uh, and at four, if you include the TSX, um, in probably two years, uh, the month of October. The, the S&P, uh, da- NASDAQ, and Dow. And the Dow, and then the TSX. Um, the NASDAQ, it, it just, just in the last week, has just been crushing it. Um, again, you wouldn't have been able to be exposed to any of those gains unless you were in the market and actually exposed. So... <laughs> You know, there's never any guarantee that you're going to, you know, correlate the the, the the growth of 14%, you know, on the Nasdaq and your portfolio is going to grow 14%. But if you've got a little expo- exposure to those companies on the Nasdaq, you're going to grow and it's going to slowly erode away your, your your losses that you've had this year. Um, so it's just something that you can't time the market. It's time in the market. And the strategy uh, and everything will take care of itself, so just you know he- hold strong
1: and, and you'll be fine. Um, I, I'm I almost of the same up. I'm almost of the same opinion as real estate right and in re- real estate I don't yeah. I don't know the markets as as well uh, Brandon as I do real estate, right but listen in real estate, you're usually usually almost one hundred percent certain not to lose money if you're never in a position where you're forced to sell right you hold on to it. You don't sell it when you're it's, selling it cheap,
0: right? It doesn't make sense. Well, it's, it's funny how people's, you know, emotions take over from them that if it was a house, people, and they knew that they bought at a low and they, and and yes, the high was the high. And then now, you know, it, it's back down again to your point, Bondo. You don't sell until you're forced to, sell. you don't, you don't sell, you don't lose money until you're forced to sell. Sure. And yet people treat stocks and bonds and mutual funds very differently than they do houses which is they're the same asset there's intrinsic value in both of them they're just t- different types of intrinsic value um and you know if people just were calm and just bought and which, held, they're not. <laughs> which they're not um you know because they don't no one knows unless they you know they're talking to someone like collins or or lindy on the regular because you're looking to actually sell do you know what the value of that of that um Mondays, right right? Or, or that house, right? Yep. It's only but with your bank statements and your investments, you have that app that you keep keep looking at it, and going, "Holy crap, I'm here now." It's like, what's the point? If you don't need it, there's no point.
1: Once a year, look at it when you uh, talk to your advisor or whatever, right? And just That's see it. how it's doing. But That's people don't, people have a hard time with that, right? Because well, we're crazy.
0: Yep. So <laughs> right. well, let's. Uh, I think it's time really that. Uh, we wrap it up before Kondo condo takes us out I just want to say thank you to everyone who watches everyone who shares uh, everyone who sends in their questions we really appreciate it uh, we're looking at getting more of these CIOs and these top investors uh, 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 and, and industry professionals on our podcast um, so please share and care thanks to our sponsors Brand Boulevard really really appreciate the mugs that we have and uh, we're going to be eating more Sink lips. And uh, Bondo,
3: right-handed, right-handed mugs. We'll we'll get them both sided. Don't worry. <laughs>
1: bitch. Help us help you stay informed. <laughs> See ya. Out.
3: Do
2: Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.
3: Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the SoundOff Media Company.